One more thing, some very fun news. We have a guest speaker today, and I'm here to tell you about him before he comes up. Uh, his name is Wade Smith. Woo! Wade has been married to his wife, Wendy, for 29 years. They have nine children, five of which they have adopted. Wade has been a pastor for 25 years, serving in both Canada and the United States. Most recently served for 16 years at Oswego Alliance Church and also started a non-for-profit five years ago called Bridge to Hope. Bridge to Hope was formed with the purpose of ministering to those that struggle with addictions and homelessness by providing housing, jobs, and training life skills. At the center of the ministry is helping these individuals see their need for Jesus Christ. He, he presently serves as the founder and director of Bridge to Hope. Please give a warm Trinity welcome to Wade Smith. Well, I'm uh, thankful to have the opportunity to be here with you this morning. And I'm not sure if the reason Brian asked me to come is because I'm Canadian as well, except I'm not a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, I'm a Calgary Flames fan, which I'm sure he wouldn't appreciate, but uh, I am very thankful to be here with you this morning. Let's join together in prayer just before we begin to open the Word together. Lord, as we pause in these moments just to um, set aside time together, yes, this morning to worship you, but Lord, as we open your word together in these next few moments, may you speak as you desire to. Lord, may we be, have hearts that are ready and willing to hear from you. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is active and alive, and that speaks into our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to ask you this morning, who is it that God has called you to love? Who is it that God has called you to love? And you might say, well, everybody. My second question to you is, is that easy to love everybody? As was stated, I was a pastor for about 25 years, and then two years ago, just over two years ago, I resigned my position, started a non-for-profit called Bridge to Hope, and the purpose of Bridge to Hope, as was stated, is to reach out to those that are often pushed aside by society. One of the men that was part of our program, his name was Jeff. Now, Jeff was homeless for about six months when he first came into our program. Jeff was in his mid-50s and a fairly quiet individual. And one of the things we require about being a part of our program is that you attend Bible study every Monday night. We gather together and open the Word together. And as... Uh, I sat down with Jeff initially, he said, just so you know, I don't believe in God. I don't believe any of that God stuff, and I don't want anything to do with it. I, I said, well, part of the requirement is you come to Bible. He says, I'll come, but don't expect me to 
to be there, to enjoy it or anything. I said, that's no problem, Jeff. As I got to know Jeff, Jeff actually worked at a local grocery store and he was one of those guys that pushed the baskets in. He was part-time there and uh, he made enough money to be able to pay his rent and take care of himself. And uh, Jeff was a, a fairly, what would I say, introverted individual. And part of that was Jeff was hearing impaired. And I took him to several doctor's appointments. They were going to do some operations, those kind of things to help him out. One day, one day, Jeff called me and said, you know, I'm having a really hard time breathing. And I took him to the doctor, and they said, take him to the hospital, took him to the hospital. He ended up having pneumonia, and ended up getting an infection out of that. He spent a few days in the hospital. He called me, I picked him up, I brought him back home. It was about two weeks later that I saw him, and he said, you know, I, I'm really not feeling well, but I don't want to go back to the hospital. And, and he was kind of, he was, he was doubled over a little bit. I said, Jeff, I'll, I'll take you. He said, no, I'll call you. The next morning, I was at my kid's soccer game, actually. And Jeff called me and said, I need to go to the hospital. I don't want to call an ambulance. Will you come pick me up? I took Jeff down. That was on a Saturday morning. I took Jeff down to the hospital, sat with him in the emergency room as they went through everything. And, and he was still in a lot of pain. They gave him something for pain. And uh, he said, you can go, that's fine. He said, Jeff, just call me when you need a ride home. I'll give you a ride home again. And uh, so I went on with my day, went back Sunday after church to see if Jeff was, I could see Jeff because I hadn't heard anything. I went there to the floor where they had checked him in and everything, and they said, well, they took him to a hospital up in Syracuse. And I didn't have time to run down to Syracuse, so I said, well, I'll, I'll go and see him uh, tomorrow. Well, Monday came, and I, I had to go back up to the hospital again and just find out where they had sent him. And, and they informed me that uh, Jeff had been taken to that hospital, but he had suddenly passed away. Jeff never told me, but he was filled with cancer. It wasn't actually pneumonia. It was cancer. Jeff was somebody who didn't believe in God. One of the things that sticks out in my mind about Jeff is his body was released to a funeral home and the funeral home didn't know who to contact because there was no contact information given. So they contacted me and they said, are you willing to do a, a service for him? I said, sure. Jeff was not in contact with any family. Jeff only had one friend that I knew of. And so we gathered beside that casket. And there was just a few people that I knew that were acquaintances of Jeff. And one of the things that I brought with me that day was this little white Christmas tree that Jeff had. <laughs> and he had this Christmas tree sitting just inside of the door of the place that we had for him to live. And he would have these gifts under there leading up to Christmas. Some of them wrapped, some of them not. And I said, Jeff, you got some Christmas presents. Who got those for you? He says, I, I bought those for myself. 
Then there'd be a few more presents. And Jeff, who, who got you that one? I, I got those for myself. It wasn't until about March that he finally took the Christmas tree down and the things from underneath the Christmas tree. Some of them were even wrapped. He wrapped them for himself. And I took that little white Christmas tree and, and set it on top of the casket as a reminder to the loneliness of Jeff. As a reminder to us as we stood around and that Jeff had nobody. Jeff had nobody. And I often think about Jeff when I'm answering that question, God, who have you called me to love? And you know, perhaps you've probably had never met Jeff, but there's people all around us, possibly even in the church this morning or for you at home, possibly in your neighborhood, people down at the local Walmart, wherever it is, that if you were to just stop and talk with them, if you were to just stop and ask them their story, I wonder if they'd be willing. Somebody to simply just care. Somebody to simply just love them. This morning I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37. And uh, whether it be on your tablet or your phone or whatever it is, I would like for you to open it up as we answer this question together, who has God called us to love. And here we find ourselves in Luke chapter 10, and Jesus here, this man approaches Jesus, and he asks Jesus this question, how can I get into the kingdom of heaven? It was a lawyer who asked him this question, and, and he says, how can I get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus gives him this response, and it was in order to test Jesus, essentially. Uh, what does this guy know? And so he responds to Jesus, and here in Luke chapter 10, it says in verse 26, Jesus says to him, what is written in the law, how do you read it? Verse 27, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now the lawyer comes back with this response in verse 29, and he said, and desiring to justify himself, he said, and who is my neighbor? I'd like you to stand with me as the tradition that I'm used to is that you would stand as, and follow along in your Bibles as I read this. Um, and uh, so I'd like you to stand with me at this point, and I'm going to be reading verses 30 through verse 37. And this is what we read here. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers and stripped him and beat him and departing, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. 
And a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. We're going to key in on that phrase in just a little bit. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. You may be seated. Jesus tells this story in response to the question, who is my neighbor? And he says there were these individuals that went down the journey from Jericho to, or from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this journey was known as, or this road was known as the path of blood. And why is that? Because on either side of this, there was uh, these limestone cliffs. It was in a deep valley, and as they would go from Jerusalem down to Jericho, it it was a place where robbers would often hide. It was known as the path of blood because that was often where you went. You wouldn't travel at night. You wouldn't travel alone necessarily because you were setting yourself up to be robbed. And so here Jesus tells this story as an illustration And right in the midst of this passage, he uses this phrase. He says, and he looked on him and had compassion. Compassion. We're going to look at that word here this morning. Because in many ways, that's the pinnacle of what this passage is all about. In answering this question. First, we see compassion is based on need not worth. Verse 30 says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he saw, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped off his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Some of your translations may say, a certain man. But it identifies him just as a man. It doesn't say his financial well-being. It doesn't say his ethnic background. It doesn't say if he uh, was married or not. It just says a man, a person. It doesn't identify anything specific about this individual. It just says, a man. And this man was robbed and left for dead. And then Jesus in this story introduces us to three individuals. The first individual is that of the priest. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Significant that it says he came down the road. Jerusalem was here. Jericho was here. He'd been just in Jerusalem. And the assumption is made as this story goes on is that he had just been fulfilling his priestly duties in Jerusalem. And he was going down to possibly where he lived. He, he had just finished doing his task. (laughs) He was leaving Jerusalem after performing these duties. 
And it says here that he passed on the other side. I'm going to pause there for a second. How often have you and I seen need of somebody else? Can be need of those sitting in this congregation here today? It can need, be need of, of somebody as you go throughout your week. And, and, and you, you look at it, you see it, <laughs> but you do one of these. I, I, I don't really want to get involved. I don't have time. I, I don't have the money to help. I, I, I've got my own schedule. I've got my own priorities. I've got my things I need to do. And, and I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm gifted to do that. Anybody ever said that? <laughs> I, I'm already helping over here. I, I, I don't want to get involved. in That's messy. That's, that's more for the pastor to do. The priest, if you said that you wanted an example of what Christ was supposed to be in the religious leaders of that time, you would say, well, it was the priest. It's like the pastor, Pastor Brian, you know. If you want to know how to be a Christian, you've got to follow him, right? I wish he was here so I could poke fun at him more, but I'll stop right there. <laughs> but, it, but it's kind of like those that we lift up in our society. Those are really spiritual. If you want to know how to live, that's what the priests were. And then it says, secondly, the second person in verse 32, a Levite, when he came down to the place, saw him, and what did he do? Passed on the other side. Notice the, the same words are saw, saw the need, knew the need, saw this individual that had been robbed and beaten, was in a place of need, and what did they do? They didn't stop and look, they passed on the other side, as if they had never saw the need. I wonder this morning as we answer that question, who are we called to love? How often do we see a need and go, oh, and pass by the other side? See, for the priest and the Levites, for them to touch a dead body, which they may have thought he was, for them to touch a dead body would have meant they were unclean for seven days, according to their system. <laughs> and it would have meant that they probably wouldn't have been able to fulfill their duties the next weekend or after that in terms of their priestly duties. It was inconvenient. When God looked down at us and saw us as sinners... Did he say, well, it's going to be inconvenient to send my son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross? Did he say, ah, I don't know if I want to get involved in that mess? He willingly sent his son. Compassion is based 
on need, not on the worth of the recipient. You know, sometimes it's easy for us, and with the individuals that I work with now, those that are cast aside by society. I know exactly where in Oswego, during the summer, it's referred to as Tent City, and I'm sure you have it here in Rochester somewhere too, where individuals live in tents during the summer. There's two places that I know of in Oswego that you can go. Behind the Walmart is one of those places. It's not a safe place to go. It's not. Not by yourself. (laughs) But those are the people that you look at and you go, I'm not getting involved there. Sometimes it can be a family member, though, that may be going through a hard time in their relationship with their children. Not getting involved there. A marriage situation, you look and go, I'm not getting involved there. Situation at work, at school, and you see it, they saw, need is not worth, not about our judgment of that individual. It's about being willing to move towards that need. Philippians chapter 2 verses 4 through 8 said, Let each of us not only look, let each of us look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having a mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the, took on the form of God, did not count equality with God the thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. <laughs> and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. Philippians 2, chapter, or verse 4, the beginning of what I just read. Let each of us look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How often is life inconvenient for us? <laughs> the little things that happen. You go, oof. Is God ever inconvenienced by us? No. No. Next thing is compassion feels something. Compassion feels something. Verse 33, it says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Well, what is a Samaritan? How many of you have been watching the uh, series The Chosen at all? Any of you have watched that at all? It's, uh, it's a great series, and uh, you can get the app on your phone, or uh, I believe it was on television for a while even. But if you look at that app, just type in The Chosen, and it's basically the story of who Jesus is and uh, his earthly ministry through the Gospels. 
And one of those is when Jesus meets the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. And now what were Samaritans? Samaritans were those that were seen, as I've looked up some of the history, those that were seen as half-breeds. Now, that's not a term that we generally use today, but that was a term that would, the Jews would use towards them. They, they were half Jew, half other, and so they weren't fully Jewish. And so they were those that were outcasts. They worshipped at a different place. They worshipped in a different way, took kind of some of the Jewish beliefs and others and brought them together. And so Samaritans were hated by the Jews. If you were traveling somewhere and Samaria was in the middle for a Jew, a devout Jew, they would go up and then they would go around and go through. You wouldn't even travel through that country. And it's interesting here that it identifies the individual that stops and has compassion. And to the Jewish listeners, this would have been shocking that a Samaritan, an outcast himself, stops and he has compassion has compassion. The word compassion is a very vivid one. It refers to the intestines or the bowels. It, it's something that is within us. It, it's that gut feeling that moves us. It says, I need to do something. A little while ago, I read a book and it's a book that I would recommend by David Platt, and it's called Something Needs to Change. And if you're not familiar with David Platt, he's a pastor. Um, he uh, does, a, does a lot of writing, a great preacher. I enjoy listening to him on some of the podcasts and um, some of his sermons. But this is the story of him taking a uh, missions trip to the Himalayas and what he experienced there. And some of the honest questions he asked as he went into one place and there was no young girls as he was traveling through. And why was that? And all the young girls had been taken to be sex slaves into the city. Another place he goes through and this one young girl grabs a hold of his hand and, and they were warned before they went into the city, don't give anybody, or this little town, don't give anybody food because there's not enough to feed everybody and it'll cause a riot and great harm. And, and so he's going through and this little girl grabs his hand as they're walking and eventually they get to the other side of the town and she says, food, food, she motions to him and he says, no, I, I can't. And she spits on him at that point. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a great story. And let me just read a couple of pages of what David Platt says here. As we talk about compassion feels something. Alone in the guest house at the base of the Himalayas, I found myself on my knees, face to the floor, sobbing. <laughs> Scattered around me was the evidence of the past week, a black backpack trekking poles, hiking boots. I was fresh off a week-long journey through some of the highest mountains in the world and only hours from a flight home to the States. But I hadn't planned on ending my trip with an out-of-control tears. Up to that day, I could count on my one hand the number of times I had cried in my adult life. The last time I had wept was the day I received the phone call that my dad had died of a heart attack. 
But this day in the Asian guest house was different. This time I wasn't weeping because I was missing someone or even something. Instead, I was crying uncontrollably because of what others, men, women, and children I had met this past week were missing. Things like water, food, family members, freedom, and hope. I so longed for them to have these things that I couldn't help it. I fell to the floor sobbing, and the flood of tears wouldn't stop. Looking back at that day in the guest house, I wondered why being so overwhelmed for others in need had been uncommon for me. I think of all the church services I've been in week after week, year after year, talking and hearing about the needs of people all over the world. I think of all the sermons I had preached about serving those in need. I even think of the books I've written, including Radical for Crying Out Loud, a book about laying down our lives in love for Christ that were for the world around us. So why has it been so rare for me to be moved by the needs of others that I have fallen on my face before God and wept? I don't think this question is just for me. When I think of all those church services, I recall very few instances where other Christians and I have wept together for people who are missing water, food, family, freedom, or hope. Why is it a scene like that so uncommon among us? It makes me wonder if we've lost our capacity to weep. It makes me wonder if we have subtly, dangerously, and almost unknowingly guarded our lives, our families, and even our churches from truly being affected by God's words to us in a world of urgent spiritual and physical needs around us. We talk a lot about the need to know what we believe in our heads, yet I wonder if we have forgotten to feel what we believe in our hearts And how else are we to explain our ability to sit in services where we sing songs, hear sermons, celebrate how Jesus is the hope of the world, yet rarely, if ever, fall on our faces weeping for those who don't have this hope and then take action to make this hope known to them? Why today do we seem to be so far from the way of Jesus? Jesus wept over those in need. He was moved with compassion for the crowds. He lived and loved to bring healing and comfort to the broken. He died for the sins of the world. So why are those of us who carry His Spirit not moved and compelled in the same way? Surely God didn't design the gospel of Jesus to be confined to our minds and our mouths in the church. It disconnected from our emotions and actions in the world. Surely something needs to change. The Samaritans saw this pitiful man lying in agony beside the road. Compassion stirs us. It moves us. Something that you can't just kind of push away. Compassion says, I I, I need to get involved. He saw, and he couldn't walk by. You know, the Samaritan had no reason to get involved. It would have been easy just to go, ah, poor fella. Sure, somebody else will stop and help him, but not me. 
Have you ever seen a need of somebody else and it moves you? It's not just here, but it moves you. You feel it deeply. Thirdly, compassion does something. Verse 34 says, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured oil on on them, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and take care of him. (laughs) You notice the response of the Levite and the priest. They saw, and they moved to the other side. The Samaritan, it says, He went to him. He moved towards the need. How often did Jesus in his ministry see the individual and move toward the need? See, a heart of compassion says, I need to get involved. And let me say, you need discernment as to which to get involved in and which not to. But yet, at the same time, we can't make excuses. We need to move towards those that are hurting. Not see the need and walk around, but see the need and walk toward. We live in a society right now where people need the gospel more than ever. They need to know who Jesus Christ is more than ever. But are we moving towards them with the truth of who He is? With our actions, but with our words as well. Are we moving towards people and saying, this is what Christ is like. This is a loving God who moves towards us. Why ought we not move towards others? Action. Jesus describes six actions that he took. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on his wounds. He put him on his donkey. He brought him to the inn. He took care of him. He responded practically, timely, in an unselfish way. Sometimes getting involved in situations is messy. It really is. God moves you with compassion. (laughs) And you move towards that situation, that individual, and you go, whew. My wife and I have been fostering children and as you heard earlier and saw the picture, we've adopted five children. We had our four boys. Wes was with me this morning. He's my oldest son. And then we've adopted five children. And let me tell you, foster care and adoption is messy. There's nothing easy about it. Two of our children that we've adopted, their mom overdosed on drugs. About a five-minute drive from where we live. Their dad was in prison. 
Another one of our children was found on a park bench with her mom and taken to a hospital in Patterson, New Jersey. Another one of our children that we adopted was sexually and physically abused horrifically. Not everybody is called to get involved in foster care or adoption. I'm not saying that. I believe we're called to support those who are doing it. That's a message for Pastor Brian sometime. <laughs> it's not easy. The men that I have in my program, one of them spent 20 years in prison for killing somebody. One of them is a sexual offender of children. Others of them are just struggling with addictions. It's messy. It's hard. Let me tell you here this morning that God doesn't call you to become a foster care parent get involved in those that are doing addictions or those kind of things. God calls you to a place of action maybe with people that are sitting right in the row with you here this morning. God calls us to get involved. It's not good enough just to see the need. We need to be moved. Compassion costs something, and this is my final point. <laughs> he took him to the innkeeper, and then he said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense. And he gave him denarii, two denarii, which was equivalent to two days' wages. Cost him of his time, cost him his energy, cost him his own agenda, If you were to walk out the back of the doors of the church this morning and you were to see somebody broken down on the side of the road trying to change their tire, a young lady, would you stop and help? Oh, I, I've got lunch plans, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm meeting this person. The small child had fallen off their bike and scraped their knee and was on the side of the road. Let, let, let's go there, <laughs> a little easier. Would you stop? It costs us our time. Sometimes it costs us our funds, our money. It costs us our priorities. It costs us. Compassion moves us, but it costs us. Jesus here in his final statement in verse 37, he says, verse 36, he says, which one is the neighbor? Well, as Jesus told the story, it became increasingly obvious, didn't it? It was the Samaritan, right? It was the Samaritan. 
And Jesus says to him in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. And he said to him, go and do likewise. You know, my challenge for us as I ask the question, who has God called us to love? My challenge to myself, my challenge to each of us, whether you're watching online or, or here, is go and do likewise. I don't know you. I don't know the people in your lives. I don't know the experiences you've had. I don't know the need you maybe have this morning. I don't know who's involved in your life, your sphere of influence. (laughs) But my prayer for us this morning is that God would fill us with compassion, with a heart that says, all right, I see the need. It's not about my priority. It's about you, Lord, and introducing them to who you are, being the hands and feet of Jesus being willing to pay the price, being willing to set aside our own priorities and say, God, it is worth it to introduce them to who Jesus is. It's not just about our actions, but it's about our words too. Saying the reason I'm doing this is because God reached down and loved me when I was broken, when I was hurting. Now I'm broken and hurting, but God has reached down and loved me by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And He wants to enter into your life if you would just surrender to Him. The compassion of the Father sent His Son. The compassion of the Father, let's let that move us. Set aside our priorities and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, allow us to see other people with eyes as you see them. Lord, it doesn't mean reaching out necessarily to the drug addict or the prostitute or whatever it is. That's just one picture, Lord. But it means for us to see the brokenness in other people's lives and not walk on the other side, but move towards. God, burden our hearts with the things that burden your heart. Give us a heart of compassion that's willing to to pay the price, that's willing to set aside so that we may introduce others to who you are. Who have you called us to love, Lord? I pray that even now as I ask that question that you would begin to bring people's faces to our, our minds. Somebody that lives next door to us. A child down the street. A co-worker. An individual that sleeps under the bridge. (laughs) That person that works behind the till at Walmart. 
Lord, give us a heart that's willing to move towards those that are broken. And I pray this in Jesus' name.